0: Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the Dearest One's epilogue. These are the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout his Second World War. As our hero Stanley finishes his difficult and ultimately failed effort to be a pilot in April of 1943, just miles from where he was in school, his unit was activated in April of 1943. Written for the record to the historical section of the 9th bomber command specifically regarding the 597th bombardment squadron in the 397th bombardment group it begins activation theoretically the squadron came into existence on april 20th 1943 by virtue of general orders number no. 28 headquarters army air base at macdill field in Tampa, Florida. This general order, dated April 1 of 1943, activated at headquarters for the 397th Bombardment Group and the 596th, 597th, 598th, and 599th Bombardment Squadrons. With MacDill Field as the station of activation, these five units were assigned to the 3rd Bomber Command, and from sources thereunder, the squadron was to receive its cadre, fillers, and replacements. The report goes on. Actually, however, life for the squadron did not really begin until May 10, 1943. This was due to the issuance of General Orders Number no. 39 at headquarters. Air Base Area Command, McDill Field, dated May 12, 1943, which reorganized the group and squadrons effective May 10, 1943. On May 12, a cadre of eight officers and 36 enlisted men reported for duty. Captain Raymond J. Berger assumed command effective May 10. Most of the cadre came from the 314th Bomb Squadron, of which Captain Berger had been the CO, and one of the units of the 21st Bombardment Group, famous for its record at MacDill as an operational training unit in B-26 aircraft. A few days later, the cadre was further implemented by the arrival of a number of enlisted men from Eglin Field, which increased the squadron's strength to 22 officers and 104 enlisted men by May 31, 1943. Of course, as you know, our hero, the Silver King, did not reach his squadron until October of 1944, and Stanley didn't move to train on a B-26 until late June of 1944, after D-Day. Before the Silver King's War began in the greenhouse of the famed Martin Marauder, the plane had a substantial history. As the World War for America loomed In the late 1930s, the Army Air Corps became very interested in models for attack bombers. In January of 1939, the Air Corps issued new specifications for a different bomber. Martin responded with an advanced design that became the B-26. After Pearl Harbor the B-26, in its early production, was part of the first group of American forces to fly to the Pacific Theater. The 22nd Bombardment Group was ordered to the Pacific, and it arrived in Australia with 44 planes in February of 1942. They were the only complete bomber unit in a difficult early Setting. After its early success in the Pacific, the B-26 was struggling at home. Early modifications made the planes more formidable in combat, but they were heavier as well, and this meant a smaller margin for error if they had engine failure. After a number of fatal crashes, often with full crews, Word began to circulate that the B-26 was not a good plane. At the end of November in 1942, a number of B-26 bombardment groups were sent to participate in the North African invasion, and they had other problems. They were poor on service, and their low-level attack missions that had been successful in the Pacific became much more hazardous against a German anti-aircraft fire. Marauders were suffering higher rates of losses than the B-25s. After the North Africa campaign, marauder groups were sent to Britain, and in an early combat mission, through a low-level attack on a power station in Holland on May 17th in 1943. Ten planes were lost on that mission. By the time our hero, the Silver King, arrived in Bomber School in Carlsbad, New Mexico, in the fall of 1943, the B-26 and its manufacturer, Glenn Martin, had struggled throughout production, and at points were told to stop producing as the nation investigated the plane. Just weeks after the Silver King began bomber school, on October 2nd of 1943, the U.S. House of Representatives and its Committee on Military Affairs wrote a letter to Martin Manufacturing. The committee's Chairman was Andrew J. May from the 7th District of Kentucky. Addressed to Mr. Harold G. Mosier, Legal Department, Glen L. Martin Company, Baltimore, Maryland. Dear Mr. Moser, I have been directed to obtain and herewith respectfully request from you for the use of the committee, a report in detail of the history of the Martin Bomber B-26, as far as your records show, to include its record of performance, its maneuverability, its susceptibility to handling, especially in relation to the extent of the pilot's training, experience, and ability, its accomplishments from the combat angle, its accident record as is known to you and causes, and simply generalized in the event you do not have statistics, anything you can give touching upon length and character of instruction as related to the accidents which have occurred, comparison in this regard with other planes, its value as a war instrument as related to other planes, and such other information and data as may be useful in reflecting an overall view of this particular plane in the war effort. Very Truly yours, H. Ralph Burton, General Counsel. In response to this extensive scrutiny and amazing streak of political intrigue, Martin Manufacturing produced a history of the Martin B-26 Marauder in World War II. And it was three parts— Part one was a history of the Marauder from November 29th, 1940, when the first plane was flown, up to October of 1943. Part two was the flight testing of the B-26 at the Martin Company Airport. And part three was a chronological battle record of the B-26 Marauder from April of 1942 to October of 1943. Part one of the Martin history regarding the B-26 Marauder began this way. Perhaps it should be explained that the B-26 is no Sunday afternoon, quote, go-to-meeting, end-quote, airplane, in which a tired businessman would care to relax for a few blissful hours. Instead, it's a rough, tough, quote, go-to-battle, son-of-a-gun, end-quote. It was designed for combat, for speed, bombs, guns, armor, not for comfort, accommodations, and aesthetic beauty. It was designed to be the safest airplane in the world, when over the objective and under attack by enemy fighters or while flying through heavy flak, Today, after 18 months of combat, the B-26 is at last being used as a medium bomber for medium altitudes, for medium ranges. And its record as a medium bomber in the, quote, big leak, end quote, over the continent is so outstanding that it is being hailed as one of the major weapons of the war. This success is not the result of design changes, although they have contributed materially, or of brilliant strategy, but simply because the weapon is being used for the purpose for which it was intended, and in the way it was designed to be flown and fought. As Glenn Martin and his minions continued the fight for the life of the B-26, our hero, the Silver King, was getting ready to head west for the start of his training to become a bombardier. And it's at this point that we have reached the end of the Dearest One's Epilogue Part 2. Six. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.